I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. I am not Richard Farley. I'm Carter Krishnire, joined by Nipun Chopra for your midweek pod. Uh, this week, Carling Cup week, or excuse me, Capital One Cup week, <laughs> FA Cup week, Premier League week, tra- transfer window. So much going on in the English game uh, as we speak. Nipun, how are you up in uh, sunny Indianapolis, I hope? Uh, it's sunny, but it's still cold, Karthik. I'm quite well. Thank you for having me. Uh, we'll, we'll miss Richard tonight, but we, we march ahead to talking about all these wonderful things that we need to get into midweek. I would love to talk to Nipun about his local side, Indy 11, making some very exciting moves in very exciting. North, North American Soccer League this winter. But uh, we're here to talk about the Premier League and English football. Let's start with the Capital One Cup. Second leg at Anfield. Lots of excitement. Cup nights, midweek cup nights at, uh, at Anfield, like European Cup nights. This is a semifinal chance to go to Wembley. One of the worst games of football <laughs> you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> That's Liverpool a great build-up. <laughs> yes, Liverpool advances on penalties after uh, a very controversial Stoke goal, right. uh, which was offside. One of the worst 120 minutes. And I say it's one of the worst matches of football you'll see because we were forced to endure 120 minutes instead of 90. <laughs> uh, Nipun, uh, Jurgen Klopp has gotten Liverpool to Wembley, albeit in a very unfashionable manner. He has, and the the overarching thing, I think, that came out of this game was the incredible record Liverpool now has in penalties. It's it's pretty incredible given how bad English teams in general <laughs> are at penalties. Liverpool somehow has this incredible record, but we know Liverpool penalties are mostly luck and all that stuff. But the game itself, Karthik, other than the offside goal, very even, uh, the defense was much better than we saw the previous week for Liverpool um, in the in the North City game where the defense was all over the place. Sako continues to defy analysis in some ways, in my opinion, because one week he has a terrible pass that inadvertently leads to a goal, and the following, or uh, three days later, he has what was essentially a man-of-the-match performance. Talk a little bit more about Liverpool's back line because there was a lot of concern about Sacco and Cola Torre mm-hmm. playing in uh, on, against a team like Stoke who keeps the ball well. And Richard hates hearing this and right. Richard <laughs> is going to be listening to this pod. But a team that does create chances, a team that does uh, play a little more fashionably than they did before. Not that that's saying much. Right. It's a relative term. But a team that certainly has a lot of quality in it. Shakiri was back for this match. But it seemed like that Sako torre pairing held up okay. It did. And the, the big concern with them is you have the aging 
Toure with the inconsistent, in my opinion, Sako. And that's what I'm getting at is that you have these two players that one game look exceptionally good and the following game look like they've never defended in a professional team in their lives. And that's the problem that I think Klopp has defensively. Along with the issues at set pieces that have been uh, discussed by everybody, I think in general, the positioning of these two players, they, they don't really understand where the other person is at any given time. So let's let's compare to, to Spurs. Given that Spurs has essentially had the same back four uh, week in, week out, uh, th- there's a great understanding across those four players as to the defensive line, as to the positioning of when one person, when one of the fullbacks should track back across a central defender. Whereas with Liverpool, with Moreno, who's, uh, mis- who- who's uh, error-prone, we just talked about uh, Toure and Sako, and then you have Klein, who's, uh, in my opinion, I think he's a terrific right-sided defender, pro- arguably the best uh, right-sided defender in the Premier League, other than maybe Seamus Coleman. But, but he is also better going forward than he is at the moment defensively. So you have all this, you have this mix of situations that may lead to leaking of goals. But then against Stoke, which you, as you said, is a is an attack minded team, especially the the Stoke Alona thing up front. Uh, they come come up with the goods. So the inconsistency, I think, is what is difficult to really analyze. Yeah, and I think uh, the and of course issue- Mignolet. Let's not forget Mignolet. <laughs> Yeah, Mignolet did very well in this game, and he is kind of a penalty specialist. We've seen him save uh, penalty kicks before. In fact, in his very first game with Liverpool, making that big stop, uh, I believe it was against Sunderland, his old team, uh, perhaps. Or was it Stoke? may have been Stoke. Uh, But his first match at Anfield in in 2013 under Brendan Rodgers, he was able to come up with a big penalty save to preserve uh, the three points for Liverpool in that season, a season that almost was a title-winning season, remember, for them. So let's move on. Uh, Liverpool, for 24 hours, it appeared like they might face their rivals Everton in a Merseyside derby in uh, at Wembley in the final on February 28th. Instead, they're going to face Manchester City in what is the anti-Manchester United derby. <laughs> <laughs> Something I learned two seasons ago is that as much as Manchester City supporters, myself included, want to think of Manchester United as this great derby, this great rivalry, Manchester United supporters will always dislike Liverpool more. And that, that became abundantly clear when right. we were fighting Liverpool for the title and United supporters, I, I believe, including you, Nipun, were uh, very much in City's corner. Uh, you know, I, I did, it, I'll be honest. I was a complete hypocrite that season. Uh, it essentially came down to whoever I was talking to. So when I was talking to you, I said I wanted City to edge it. And when I was talking to Gabe, I said I wanted Liverpool to edge it. So essentially, I lied to both of you to your face. I just wanted both teams to lose. As long as you didn't want <laughs> – oh, but does that mean you were supporting Mourinho and Chelsea? I was. I just wanted everyone to lose that season because we were so poor. <laughs> right, so if Arsenal had won the title, you still would have been unhappy. Right. <laughs> anyway, Roberto Martinez's team can maybe feel a little bit hard done by that call, uh, the second goal. We'll get into that in a minute. But as Manuel Pellegrini pointed out post-game, and, and I pointed out on Twitter during the game – very clear penalty not called in the first leg uh, where Jesus Navas was taken down in the area. I mean, an indisputable penalty. So officiating played a part, but I think it evened out in the end. And Martinez's team, again, blew a lead. And uh, this time in cup competition, not in the league. And Manchester City moves on to Wembley. Yeah, you and I disagree on Martinez. But I have to admit that I think when I watched that game today, it it was frustrating for me because I wanted Everton to win simply because I could go ha-ha in your face. But pretty much everything you said came out, bore out to be true. And I really do get, I do feel bad for those Everton fans who uh, 
probably understand why neutrals like myself what enjoy watching Everton play, but it's got to be so frustrating for them to end up in losing positions or drawing positions over and over again lately under Martinez. Let's talk about the big decisions Martinez made first, uh, moving John Stones out to right back and yeah. sitting Seamus Coleman, which seemed a strange decision. Uh, to start the game, and maybe you keep uh, you, you keep Jagielka out of the team, mm. uh, but of course you want his leadership. So I understand why the decision was made, but the absence of Coleman was very obvious. I, I thought Raheem Sterling ha- had a had his had a good time actually out there the whole the whole ninety minutes with Stones or the eighty five minutes or so Stones played running at Stones, and then uh, the other key decision was playing Osman instead of McCarthy, which I thought was probably a good decision, but then it seems like Martinez panicked and inserted McCarthy for Osman. Osman, of course, has not played a, while, uh, a whole yeah. number of matches, right? I mean, and, he, and he's, a, he's an older player, but his experience, I think, was important for Everton and his versatility, pushing out wide, uh, his, his uh, effectiveness on the break and being part of counterattacking moves. And uh, when McCarthy came in, Everton's midfield was completely overrun. Yeah, I think there was a there was a definitely a feeling of rotation in there as well. I think he I think uh, Martinez did feel he needed to freshen up the team a little bit, uh, and some of the changes you mentioned. So the one about Stones, I think we've seen before. Uh, maybe a couple games ago, we saw the same same thing with him uh, with y- Yagielka, Funes Mori, and and Stones at right back. I I agree. Stones does not look comfortable at right back. Was, was made a few mistakes today, um, so that was that ended up being. An issue, but I think with with Martinez, always the feeling, at least the way I look at it, that he feels they can do enough damage through the likes of Barkley, Delfeo, Lukaku to negate some of the other issues. Because let's be honest, their strength continues to be in the forward positions, and regardless of how he plays the midfield or or how he plays the defenders, all of them, including Cleverly, including um, McCarthy, all of them are liable for some mistakes along the way. So Manchester City win this match. They advance. They win 3-1, win 4-3 on aggregate. Key moment in the match might have been when Yaya Torre was pulled out. Now, we've heard right. for weeks about Torre slowing down. Uh, this game, uh, Pellegrini opted to try and play with two holding midfielders behind Torre, Fernandinho and Fabian Delph. That still didn't work, and Torre eventually got the hook. Kevin De Bruyne came on. Uh, Jesus Navas had come on at halftime, and it did. That coincided, actually, with that Osmond for McCarthy change we talked about. Mm-hmm. And Everton was overrun from that point forward. This begs the question. Yaya Torre has been a one-of-a-kind player in the Premier League. I think right. we'd all agree over the last yeah. five five or six seasons. Is time up? Is he now a rotation player for Manchester City? I know Pellegrini doesn't see him that way. But another manager, particularly a guy from Bayern <laughs> who might come in, probably will see him as just a rotation player. Yeah, you and I have talked about this on my other podcast, this very specific topic of Yaya Toure, because it's got to be a nightmare in some ways for a manager, because you have this player who on his day is unplayable. Like, no defender, no midfielder in the world can keep up with Yaya Toure. Right, which is why I think that Pellegrini persists with it. Exactly. And I was supposed to see him come off today, because there have been several games this season where I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing Manchester City supporters reacting or Bitter and Blue, the SB Nation site I manage, Manchester City site, uh, people leaving comments there. Why is Torreon? Why won't he pull him? We have this option on the bench, that option on the bench. But he always, I think Pellegrini always has this feeling, okay, even if it's minute 89, there are moments where he's still unplayable, unmarkable. 
But do you think maybe Karthik it also has something to do with the, the dressing room feeling? Because we know Yaya Toure is a crucial part of that dressing room. We know he is kind of moody even. So we, we know that yeah. if he weren't happy, that would kind of permeate through the dressing room. So maybe it's just man management from, from, uh, from Pellegrini. Well, yeah, I think he might. His unhappiness may have nothing to do with uh, Pellegrini. In fact, it might actually might have everything to do with Pellegrini. It might have to do with the feeling he has that Pellegrini is being moved out and Pep is being moved in, and his agent has already. We know his agent makes bombastic comments. Right. His player tries to distance himself from at times, but uh, is already making the, the 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 comment that well, if Pep comes in and anyone could win at Bayern and Barcelona. Uh, Yaya Torre is going to entertain offers to leave Manchester City. So, uh, and whether that was a, a blackmail threat to the city brass to keep Pellegrini in place or not, uh, it, it didn't seem to work. So that's the big question. Um, so game-wise here, I guess the, the talking points again will be about Sterling getting to that ball after it had I want to. I want to say clearly crossed yeah. the line, but that that angle that we saw was a little bit deceiving because, but. He, as it's been pointed out to me since that if you take it, if you take that shot from another angle, uh, it looks like it's on the line. So mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 you see green in in the one shot, but uh, that call was of course a talking point uh, to balanced out as Pellegrini says by the the non call for a penalty in the That's first game right. on Jesus Navas. But I think maybe the other talking point is when Kevin De Bruyne came on. Everton had no answer. They, they they were not able to mark him. They were not able to account for his movement in the mm-hmm. midfield and and uh, where he would pop up on the pitch. And also the Navas thing. I think. I mean, we we've, oh, yeah. we we know that Navas can be wanting for finished product, but there's no doubt that he stretches the play. And that's one thing that City tend to lack is because they have these players that want to come inside. So when you have Navas stretching the play, it allows the players that want to come inside to have more space. So I think that was a combinatorial effect there. I think. Right. Uh, last talking point from this game, of course, Kevin De Bruyne yeah. injured. Looks like a serious injury. Early indication from Manuel Pellegrini after the match is that it might be just an MCL sprain, an eight-week injury, which will put him back end of March for uh, City's presumed title push, and maybe even more importantly for the player for the Belgium campaign in, in Euro 2016. This is the best chance Belgium has ever had to win a major international tournament, and not having De Bruyne would make that chance a mm-hmm. uh, little less likely. So uh, that's, I'm sure, all of Belgium is, is waiting with bated breath. And if it, one Eden Hazard were playing at a higher level, they may not be as reliant on De Bruyne this summer. But I think, uh, as it stands now, with the way Hazard's playing, De Bruyne is going to be critical for Belgium if they're if they're going to make a push to win this Euro. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I don't think I have anything to add that would add any sort of insight more than what you just said. Let's move on to the FA Cup. Uh, Darby County, who is coming off a 4-1 loss at Turf Moor on Monday night, a, a match where uh, they played very well for lar- large stretches of the match and then just lo- kind of lost their discipline and shape in the second half, uh, taking on Manchester United at the uh, at Pride Park or whatever sponsors on Pride Park now. Uh, that's it. That's obviously a very big match because Darby's a team that's seen as a likely team to get promoted this season. Although we thought that the last two seasons and they haven't gone up. And this season now, they're hitting that swoon again. As I mentioned, lost 4-1 to Burnley at Turf Moor the other uh, night against the Manchester United side that is in uh, some sort of crisis mode, uh, Nipun. Has been in crisis mode for a while, Karthik. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be a good game because... Manchester United under Louis van Gaal has had a very poor record against lower league opposition in the cup competitions. 
Uh, every single time we've been dumped out, dumped out of the cup competition, Louis Van Hall has come out and said that this is a turning point of the season, blah, 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 and it's never happened. Uh, we know Darren Bent can put away a few goals for Derby, uh, depending on his mood as well. Uh, and I think with United, there won't be enough... Uh, there won't be enough firepower up front to make this a blowout in any way. We, we've seen United struggle to put away goals. Uh, United's creativity essentially comes from Anthony Martial. So at the end of the day, I can see this going to PKs possibly or uh, for the return fixture. I don't see a lot of goals in this game. Maybe a narrow, narrow one nothing win for United. Yeah, if United's going to win a match these days, it seems like it's going to be 1-0. So that's, uh, <laughs> or from uh, an a, own uh, goal, Karthik. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, which, oh, Jesus, yes, some people know that. I always say, oh, geez, happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. People would say for years, oh, Ferguson, Manchester United, they get lucky. Well, it's because they're putting, they're pinning the defense back and they're right. defending so deep that uh, oh, geez, happened. Yeah. Well, not, so not these days. Now it's just like... Well, no, not these <laughs> days, right? I'm talking about Fergie's United. I'm talking right. about uh, the, the good old days for, for, for y'all who like uh, Manchester United. Uh, moving on, Bolton and Leeds is yeah. Saturday. That's an interesting match because we're looking at a a club in Bolton that is an absolute financial implosion. If possible, worse than Leeds United. I was United just going to say, there's a commonality there. <laughs> yes, there is a certain commonality. In fact, Phil Garcai, the, the chairman of Leeds, uh, chairman of Bolton, is someone I've often compared to Peter Ridsdale going back mm-hmm. a number of years. So this is a bit of a financial financial mismanagement derby uh, <laughs> beyond being a, a Lancashire York derby. I love derby. that. I love that. Financial yeah. mismanagement derby. Yeah, besides being a war of roses. Right. Uh, Villa and Manchester City. Uh, Aston Villa, uh, Nipun, they've been playing better of late. Uh, they ran into Tony Pulis's uh, brick wall yeah. on Saturday. They weren't able to get three points out of that match. They probably deserved it. But uh, under Remy Gard, they've begun to see some good play. Probably too late to save the season, though. Yeah, I, I think uh, they they have to be everyone's favorite to get relegated, even beyond. I mean, for me, they were number one to get relegated from the start of the season, uh, and now even more so. So, uh, But, it, you know, it's a cup tie. City will be buoyed from... Their trip to Wembley might see some um, some hesitancy from the team, might see some rotation given De Bruyne's injury, all that stuff from City. Maybe we'll see your beloved Ignacio start for City. With Villa, that's really the only chance they have is a lucky goal away maybe from Gisted, uh to nick the tie. But on paper, you would you have to say City are far, far, far favorites for this game. And it'll be interesting to see if Pellegrini waits to loan out Patrick Roberts now to Celtic. That deal will is appears to be imminent, but maybe holds on to Roberts for this match and then sends him north of the border. Liverpool and West Ham. This is this will um, be a good one, right? And of course, West Ham has already done the league double over Liverpool this season. Yeah. They're probably the better team. But if you're West Ham United, does an elongated cup run potentially affect your your uh, place in the Premier League or not? Place they're not going to get relegated, but they could they could qualify for Europe next season. And unlike this past year where they felt like it was probably a good idea to get out of European competition, which right. is what they did before the start of the Premier League season, it may uh, Slavin Village be taking the same attitude towards the Cup? That's a tough one to answer. I think given the record they have over Liverpool, I think Bilic will be licking his lips because at the end of the day, even if they get to like the semifinals, um, you know, yeah, semifinals, I think that guarantees his job as long as they finish in the top 15 of the league even because 
fans will say, okay, we had a good run in the cup competitions. We had a good start in the Premier League. We had a few good games. We had the league double over Liverpool. So I don't think he'll be taking it as easy as maybe uh, Claudio Ranieri took it in the last round. Um, So in that sense, I think with Liverpool and West Ham, some of the big talking points, Enner Valencia is one that I think uh, has done well against Liverpool. Diafra Sacco, um, well, Sacco at Liverpool, actually. So there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of talking points in this game. And for me, uh, again, Liverpool will just have the advantage because it's at Anfield. But don't discount the incredible counter-attacking style of West Ham, right, Karthik? Correct. And Liverpool coming off 120 minutes of football right. and penalty kicks uh, on Tuesday. 90 minutes here against West Ham. Then they face a trip to the league leaders on Tuesday. Right. That being Leicester City, who were waiting out of every other competition. And now finally fully fit again. And Liverpool is far from fully fit. Right. So They're starting to get some bodies back. But yeah, they still have a lot of injury issues. Yeah, in other words, I like Leicester in that game next week. But that's, yeah, for, uh, for, sure. that's for next week. Uh, Palace and Stoke. This is a, this is an intriguing tie because Alan Pardew's Palace team seems in free fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've made a big signing that we'll talk about uh, in part two. In uh, but this is a uh, an opportunity maybe for Palace to go on a cup run. Stoke again exhausted, 120 minutes, and, and must be dejected after losing on penalties in the uh, League Cup semi. Yeah, I can't call this one. I mean, on the one hand, you have as you said, uh, Palace under Pardew going through the latter day Newcastle stuff. Uh, Maybe going through the latter-day Newcastle stuff, I guess it's too early to say. But uh, And on the other hand, you have Stoke, which is a team that does not have a lot of depth, especially when they have trouble creating chances. They have those four players up top, and if one of them is injured, uh, especially Arnautovic, I, I think they're heavily reliant on Arnautovic. So given that Arnautovic played majority of the game today, um, he might be rested for that game, and that will essentially mean Stoke will struggle to score, and maybe Palace will edge it. Your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think Palace might edge it, and, and it'll give them some confidence. They've lost; uh, they haven't won a game in the league since uh, December 14th, which is uh, a kind of a pardue effect. We've seen this at Newcastle in the past, as I talked about on the weekend show. Right. And this is a uh, unfortunately a, a byproduct sometimes of Alan Pardue's management style. Uh, the rest of the uh, FA Cup, or at least interesting FA Cup ties. I'm just going to read these games. West Brom plays host to to the Posh to Peterborough. Uh, Nottingham Forest plays host to Watford. That will be an interesting tie. That's at uh, at Forest. Uh, Colchester gets a trip from Spurs, so that'll be uh, that'll be real nice for them. Pompey plays host to Bournemouth, South South Coast Derby. And uh, just a few seasons ago, uh, uh, Pompey was in the top flight and Bournemouth was in right. the fourth division. Now it's the reverse, so <laughs> that's especially interesting. I'm not sure. Uh, Bournemouth, though, uh, how much longer they want to go in the cup, although Eddie Howe is beginning to get some players back, and they've added some depth in this. They've added role. some good quality up top, in my opinion. Yeah. Afobi, in particular, has taken off. Yeah, Afobi was a, a natural signing, and again, I, I think this is the kind of signing, prior to the TV money, that a team fighting relegation wouldn't have been able to exactly. make. Wolves were selling him, and, and the thought was that he'd go to at least a mid-table team, a West Ham, a Stoke, a team like that. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal-Burnley, that'll be an interesting match. Burnley chasing promotion in the Premier League. I'm not sure Sean Dyche, uh, to the pre- back to the Premier League, I'm not sure Sean Dyche will be bothered if they lose this tie. Carl... Carlisle plays host to Everton, who are going to be dejected, but rotated their squad after, um, this is on Sunday, uh, after that loss to Manchester City today. And MK Dons, now this is an interesting match, uh, play host to Chelsea. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on Chelsea in general? 
<laughs> my thoughts on Chelsea in general. Uh, better under uh, under um, what's his name? Um, Heating. Well, Heating. He yeah, Goose Heating. Wow, totally just had a brain fart. Yeah, better under Goose Heating. Uh, some of the same. I think he's playing some of the same tactical formation, but. Uh, John Obi Mikhail has taken a big role in this team as the holding midfielder, especially with the misfiring um, Matic. So in that sense, I think there's a lot going on at Chelsea, a lot of turnovers going on. We, we know they just signed Pato and we'll talk about signings in a minute. So maybe this will prove to be an opportunity to uh, get some, some minutes for those some of the younger players, some of the players that are just on the cusp. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they line up. Pedro, by the way, uh, has had absolutely no real playing time, so maybe this is a game where we see Pedro start. Yeah, and Pato coming in, very easy to swap him. Pato, not necessarily a an out-and-out -out striker. He can play out on the wing also, which I saw him do many times at Milan when uh, they were playing a 4-3-3 under right. Leonardo and then under uh, when Allegri took over. So uh, I, I think uh, <laughs> Pedro is, is not panned out the way that some of us thought he would. Right. Uh, that's it for part one. We're going to be back in part two to talk transfers and something that will be very interesting for American listeners of our show. Stay tuned. This is the World Soccer Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the World Soccer Talk Podcast. My name is Carter Krishnire. I'm joined by Nipun Chopra. And Nipun, we're in the heart of the January transfer window. You mentioned uh, Afobe in the last uh, last segment. That's a great transfer, a great move from Wolves to Bournemouth. He made that move a couple weeks ago. A couple of interesting moves this week or in the last few days. Uh, first, Emmanuel Adebayor to yeah. Crystal Palace. He, that's obviously on a free, but Palace can register him now. And he has not played competitive football, I want to say, for almost a, uh, a year now. He's been frozen out of Mauricio Pochettino's uh, Spurs side. It's crazy. I mean, I, I mean, Emmanuel Adebayor at one point was one of the most feared strikers in the world. And I'm not talking like uh, 10, 20 years ago. I'm talking, well, actually, maybe eight years ago. So maybe it's almost 10 years ago. Uh, you know, when he was at Arsenal, he was at moments entirely unplayable. But but even at Spurs, even, right, first, even at Spurs. first year or two at Spurs under Redknapp, he was uh, tough to defend. And I think he's just had these issues. He had an issue with AVB. Uh, then Sherwood brought him back in the team. Sherwood gets the sack and um, Pochettino. Uh, well, he, he went to Real Madrid. Right. Like he went on Real Madrid on loan, obviously Manchester City. Before mm -hmm. that, he, he, he played well until uh, a certain point. I, I do think, though, there at Spurs, maybe what happened was Pochettino came in was determined to play young players, was determined to give Harry Kane a run, run in the team, and then that run in the team was only supposed to be a few games and mm -hmm. it just was lightning in a bottle and there was no way you could make that change. And, and also, like to add to that, I think with Adebayor, there's a lot of off-field stuff he's had. He he was in the bus that was shot at uh, in 2012. Togo, yeah. Was it the Togo? Togo, yeah, January 2010. Yeah, 2010. Um, you know, we've, we've all read about the really sad stuff that's happened with his family where he's been let down by his own family when it comes to money all of that stuff so i think that has really weighed on him i guess i'm drawing a drawing a line of causation that i don't know exists but in my opinion that has weighed on him uh because there's quality as a footballer there but the off-field stuff has dragged him down and maybe he needs a fresh start but realistically karthik i think we're both in agreement that he is far from the player he used to be 
Brighton Palace have had real problems scoring goals this season. Jason Punchin, who was a very good midfielder, not contributing the number of goals he, he did the last se- last season. Mm-hmm. And uh, the strikers haven't picked up the slack. And, and Fraser Campbell, nowhere to be found. Shamak, more a player to fit Pulis' style. That's why he was there, uh, predated Pardew. Uh, I, I, Sacco, I believe, is injured, who came in from Wolves. Uh, right. there, uh, Connor Wickham now is going to be suspended for several games for uh, just an absolutely cynical and stupid uh, <laughs> elbow he threw uh, in the match the other night so uh, Palace have problems up front so this 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 might work out in short term in a short term dose out of Bayern known for being a four month solution has had four really good months at Manchester City four uh, decent months at Real Madrid four to six good months at Spurs and then the rest was was all bad so that'll be interesting let's talk a little bit about Chelsea Pato you teased it in the last segment Uh, he he was here in Florida this week with Corinthians he just played the Fort Lauderdale Strikers in a friendly on Saturday Pato did not play in that game he Mm -hmm. uh, did not dress he was at the stadium because a move to Chelsea was imminent and that move apparently has apparently been finalized on loan and Pato is a player that can play uh, people think of him as an out-and-out striker, but he can play out on the wing. Mm-hmm. Now, he seems to have rehabilitated his career in Brazil, but yeah. the last couple of seasons he was at Milan, he just didn't look uh, the part in a, in a big European league. It looked like he couldn't play at, at the European club level anymore. Well, he wasn't. He looked like he wasn't interested. That was, was the big oh, thing. True, true. Uh, you know, with everything we heard about Pato at that time involved... Berlusconi's daughter, and we invo- involved partying away. Uh, yeah, and, and I should point out with Brazilian players, there's been this reputation right. when they go to Milan in particular exactly. that uh, that this happens, and there are other bad influences. And he was on a team with Rubinho. He was mm-hmm. on a team. I don't think Kaká was back there yet. Uh, he because Kaká he left. was still at Madrid at the time. Right? Yeah, right. But there were a couple other Brazilian Ronaldinho players. was Ronaldinho there. was there. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. So there there were all these bad influences, and I, I've heard that for years about don't let young Brazilian players go to, uh, to to Milan. You want them at Shakhtar. You want them someplace mm-hmm. else because uh, they, 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 they get lost there. And Pato was supposed to be the prodigy. He was the guy right. we were talking about the way we talk, talked about Neymar a few years ago. He was the guy before that we were talking about. Absolutely. And and Tim Vickery talks to us about this all the time, almost every week on World Football Phone-In, where he talks about how Pato essentially went off the boiler and has rehabilitated himself, as you've said, has stayed fairly injury-free for the last year and a half, which was the big concern with him, with his knees, and apparently that is resolved. So it's possibility that Chelsea will start to see the Pato of old, um, but we also know that Chelsea, the way they set up, it's going to be interesting how they utilize Pato, because if Pato is going to be used as a as a striker, I don't think that's his best position. I think he is still best coming in from the wings or just behind uh, the striker, which means how do they incorporate the other players in the in in the in the team? You know, there's going to be rotation around that. So it'll be interesting how he's utilized by Hiddink. Another move that appears imminent. It could yeah, could you, be, you uh, got to talk about this. This this right. has been on your mind for for all day, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, and I've been I'm very excited about it. Matt yeah. Mizaga, uh, who is one of our best homegrown players in Major League Soccer here in the United States, uh, coming out of Red Bull Academy. He's a New Jersey boy. Uh, stayed with his hometown club, which is the thing we're trying to develop in American soccer. We haven't been very good at that. Uh, having people go to academy locally, then play professionally locally the way it is in the rest of the world. We've never had that. It's a new development here in the United States. So he stayed with his local club, and it looks like now he will be heading to Chelsea. Now, I hate to uh, mention that I 
my understanding is Kia Jurabshin is in the middle of this deal, and Kia Jurabshin is doing a lot of business now uh, in the United States uh, with, with Major League Soccer. I'm not sure he's involved with the NASL, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is. <laughs> um, he's always looking to park players and move players, as as uh, those, uh, those of you who know who he is and, and listen to this show often uh, are familiar with. But this is very exciting because this is right. – uh, the best central defense prospect that the U.S. has, besides John Anthony Brooks, who is uh, having a great season at Hertha Berlin, uh, who sit right now in a Champions League position in the Bundesliga. They're fourth. I don't know that they'll stay fourth. Uh, they, they very easy, or they're third right now. They could very easily fall to seventh or eighth, second half of the season. But uh, that's probably the center back pairing for the future. And you have Brooks at Hertha Berlin, potentially a guy that, a, that could move to a Wolfsburg or a Bayern or a Borussia Dortmund. There's been talk of that in Germany. And then Mizaga, who's 20, going to Chelsea. I assume he'll be loaned out a couple times, but uh, in a big club system in Europe. And uh, my pessimism about the U.S. men's national team and, and the number of players we have uh, playing either in Major League Soccer or playing for second-tier second clubs, not necessarily second-division clubs, but second-tier clubs on the European continent. The, the one exception would be uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's Fabian Johnson, who's right. having a fantastic season. But he would be the only exception to that. Uh, everybody else is playing for lesser first division teams or uh, or playing in Major League Soccer or playing in Mexico, which is not a bad league. But again, I, I don't think it's the same thing as playing in Europe. Uh, some of my pessimism will be doused if John Anthony Brooks continues this run at Hertha Berlin and moves maybe to a Borussia Mönchengladbach where he'd play with Fabian Johnson or, or a Borussia Dortmund next year, a bigger German club, a better supported German club. And, and uh, Mizaga comes to Chelsea. So this is very exciting. This is a player who's a good ball playing. Now, again, this is by Major League Soccer standards. Mm -hmm. But he's a good ball playing central defender. So, so let me ask you. Yeah, let me ask you the question that I'm sure everyone wants to hear your opinion about. And we, I know we need to move on, so we'll do this in a minute. But do you think this might go down the Jonathan Spector route, where he went to United, uh, had a couple of appearances, but was shipped out maybe two or three years later after not making the cut? Um, or you know, do you? Th in other words, should he have gone to maybe a middle? Premier League team, a Stoke City as opposed to a Chelsea, or do you think going to Chelsea itself is the right move? Um, if he follows the Spectre path, that's a good question. If he follows the Spectre path, I'll be happy with it because Spectre then went to West Ham. Uh, Charlton on loan. Oh, did uh, I? Oh, he was Charlton. Okay. Right, right. And Alan Kirbishly liked him, and, and then brought him when Kirbishly got the West Ham job, mm -hmm. bought him outright from Ferguson at that point, and took mm -hmm. him to West Ham. And he stayed at West Ham through, through Kirbishly's tenure and through another couple of managers. Uh, before they were relegated. Now he's a championship player, but he was a very, very good player for the United States and had a, a mental toughness and, and a versatility playing different positions, whether it was right back or center back, or even you could plug him in, in an emergency at uh, holding mid that other U.S. players didn't have. So if it goes that route, I'll be happy. Of course, I hope it goes a little better than that and he could stay at Chelsea. But uh, my fear, of course, about this is that he gets loaned. He becomes one of these Chelsea players like the Bamfords or the McEachrins uh, or, or, or others that just uh, previously Michael Mancian and, and, and Bruma, all these guys that just keep getting loaned out every, every year. Although, quite frankly, that's still better than what the U.S. has got right now. The U.S. That's true. Yeah. It, it, not to plug my own article here, but on WorldSoccerTalk.com, you might be surprised, and Richard Farley and I talked about it last week, the number of players, and I have an article about Mizaga today and this move to Chelsea, and list the number of players the United States has had that has made an impact mm -hmm. in, in 
the English top flight league and in other European divisions in the past. And it might surprise uh, folks as to how many leagues, how many players have been playing in top leagues that are American in the past and compare that to today when soccer is more popular than any point uh, in American history, in American sporting history. And we have so few guys of no playing abroad and most of them are playing domestically. And it's great to have a, an improving domestic uh, league and domestic leagues, including NASL, which you and I follow, the second right, division. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, there's this cost, so I'm excited. I, I hope it works out. Let's uh, let's talk. Stay with Chelsea. Ramirez has moved to uh, to China after six and a half, uh, five and a half seasons at Chelsea, and Gervinho, who still played decently for Roma. Yeah, although he was a he was a uh, Louis uh, Garcia player, and Garcia has been sacked. He was with Garcia at Lille and then went to Arsenal. Um, maybe not in Spalletti's plan. Both of them moving to China for exorbitant fees. It's so confusing. Again, to invoke Tim Vigri, he, he was talking about this, how, how Brazilian players are now, especially Brazilian players, are being very seduced by moving to China because they're essentially getting a good lifestyle, decent weather, and getting exorbitant amounts of money. Oh, and by the way, six Corinthians players, and we mentioned Pato earlier from uh-huh. Corinthians, and they played the four Laurel Strikers the other day uh, here in the American Second Division. Six Corinthians players not not available for that match because they they were all moving to China. Six of them. Incredible, incredible. I was reading uh, an article a couple of days ago about Asuma Jian who moved to uh, I think he moved to Guangzhou is where he moved to, but made him the third uh, highest paid footballer in the world. We're talking about Jian being paid almost as much as Cristiano and uh, Messi in terms of salary. Yeah, he was a mercenary to begin with. Because I remember yeah. he left Sunderland to go to uh, some club in the Middle East for an exorbitant Oh, league. absolutely. He was but playing well for Sunderland. That really hurt him that season. Yeah, which is crazy when you think about the fact that now a player that is, I don't want to say mediocre, Jean was a good player, but he's nowhere in the bracket of even the top 100 footballers in the world, and he's getting paid like he's one of the top three. So that's the reason why China... Uh, and and maybe it's a good thing in some ways, uh, Karthik, because now you're getting influx of external money back into the league that can be used in whatever way. But it's just kind of troubling in some ways because of the the talent being sucked out, I guess. So let's move on to a sore subject for a lot of American soccer fans, but seems to be a constant uh, subject discussed on World Soccer Talk and by our readers and our listeners Fox. Fox's <laughs> soccer coverage in the United States. For those of you who are listening in the UK or Australia, you may not be able to relate. Oh, actually, in Australia, you might be able to relate. I don't know what, what kind of job uh, Fox does with uh, football over there, football, soccer over there. But certainly in the United States, it is controversial. So to, today, they officially secured uh, the rights. We reported it first at World Soccer Talk. Uh, Christopher Harris did uh, the rights to the Copa America uh, tournament for uh, 2016, the centenario in the United States. That was a, a poorly kept secret that's been known for a while. So uh, yet another major tournament on Fox. Mm-hmm. Fox has the FA Cup rights in this country. The Premier League, of course, is on NBC Sports. NBC gives you basically wall-to-wall coverage of the Premier League with all these bumper programs, with all these auxiliary programs, all these brand-building features, documentaries that are uh, commissioned, uh, this Gary Lineker documentary on Crystal Palace, four-part documentary commissioned by the network. Contrast that with Fox, which gives you, I don't know, Nipun, uh, maybe you can comment on what Fox does. What's a cinnamon synonym for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> Zilch. Zero. Zilch. It gives us nothing. I mean, the first question, I guess, Karthik, is let's start with this one. I mean, the the big criticism of Fox came around 
five, what was it, four years ago in the Champions League when we were, they were trying to force Gus Johnson down our throats. Uh, and have can I think we all agree on this. Are they better than they were four or five years ago with that Gus Johnson nonsense? Yes, and I would say that yeah. they're probably better than they were prior to the Gus Johnson nonsense For when sure. they had very, very cheap studio setup and uh, just cliches rolling off of Warren Barton's tongue uh, in the studio. Well, that has and changed. They, those guys would literally roll out of bed and, and show up at the studio and not do the kind of prep work we're used to seeing now from uh, from NBC and ESPN uh, talent. Exactly. And and so I, I think we're all in agreement. We have to at least give them credit for being somewhat better uh, than they were. But the thing, as you hinted at in your introduction, we have to compare them to what is now the land, the gold standard as far as our coverage goes, which is NBC, which they, which they're, with their incredible coverage, uh, great analysis, they have the podcast and all that stuff, uh, the shows they do, the, the coverage they have, stories on Bournemouth, Palace, all that stuff. Are they comparable in any way to NBC or even no. to be in sports? To be in? No, be in is better, but are they comparable to be in? Well, be in has better... Uh, commentators, they have better co-commentators, they have uh, studio shows that where they actually analyze games. No, they're not as good as BN. I, uh, maybe their graphics and their presentation are better than BN, but their actual coverage of soccer or not. I, I, I agree. Again, I agree with you. So I guess the question then becomes, why is it that Fox is continuing to lag behind these two these two, honestly, new players in the game? I know, I know BN just got repackaged and in some ways it's an offshoot and has taken some of the people that Satanta and Gold TV had. So maybe it's right. not completely new. But NBC essentially is a new player to the f- soccer game. So how have these two networks completely transcended and gone past Fox, which was, you know, the one that brought us soccer? Fox yeah, well, Sports, B- Sports B- is well. basically a new Yeah, BN is basically a new entity because it's owned by Al Jazeera. Right. So they took a lot of the talent that was left over from exactly. from the networks you mentioned, from especially Gold TV, because they're, they're, they're both based in Miami, so they were able to just move those people over. But still, they the whole production, everything was a new thing for them. Uh, I think a couple of things. One, BN tries to speak to soccer audiences. NBC tries to speak to soccer audiences and then – Fans of international sport who may not be Premier League fans or soccer fans, but they're fans of the Olympics or they're fans of of tennis or they're fans of golf or or, or these kind of internet more internationalized global sports, Formula One racing. So there's there's an effort to speak a, a kind of a common language to those people. Fox, from being very kind of soccer centric in when they originally brought this to us, right via Fox Soccer Channel, right. has become now obsessive about promoting American talent and speaking to the masses of American sports fans who don't care about this sport uh, on a daily basis. They tune in every once in a blue moon and uh, just simply are not that sophisticated in the way they think about this sport. I hate to say that, but that's, that's, that really is it. And I mean, I've seen, I could give you a couple examples. I've seen Alexi Lawless's uh, and if Mr. Lawless listens, I mean, I'm sure he's going to call me out on this, but I've seen Alexi Lawless's commentary and his analysis dumbed down in the year and a half since he moved to Fox. Well, he, the, the kind of analysis he gave at ESPN, he doesn't give at Fox. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the opposite happen with Brian McBride, who I thought was 
terrible as a, as a uh, uh, match analyst and, and as a uh, studio presence on Fox when he was doing Champions League and Europa League. He moves to ESPN. He's now on the ESPN FC show, and I think right. he's fantastic. I, there is something culturally at that network that dumbs down their coverage. And I, I, when they hired Lawless, and Christopher Harris can tell you this, I was excited. I said, oh, well, finally, they're getting someone, someone who, who, who researches and thinks about the game and, and is going is to be very analytical in, in his presentation as he was at ESPN. And instead, we're getting Alexi Lawless kind of dumbed down to Fox standards. I would actually even make that case about Rob Stone, who's their host. Yeah. I think he's dumbed down his uh, presentation style from where it was when he used to do. Uh, he wasn't the top, ever the top soccer guy at ESPN, but he was one of the. Uh, he would present a lot. Uh, it's completely dumbed down. You know, so my thoughts on this are in line with yours. In some ways, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. In some ways, I think Fox still believes there in 2006 when Fox Soccer Channel was yes. and, and Setanta were the because I give them credit they brought they were the visionaries that brought Premier League to America that said okay we're going to show almost every game and you can watch those you pay a little bit extra but you watch almost all these games on our channel I give them credit for that but maybe at that time because they were the ones that brought this new market and uh, this new game into uh, stateside, maybe they still felt at that time that they have to convert the audience. And maybe they're, they're still stuck in that mindset and don't realize that in 2016, the Premier League is incredibly popular and that it's right. not just a small niche of people watching that product. Uh, and that lots of people want to watch the Champions League. They don't just want to watch it as a as a side throwaway thing. Like People like me, people like you who plan our days around watching soccer right. are watching this product and they need a better they need a better product from Fox, and they're still stuck in that old mentality. So NBC's the gold standard. NBC's even redefining coverage in the United Kingdom because BT Sport and Sky Sports are reacting right. to right. NBC, and everybody in the UK knows about NBC. So they're on a plateau. I mean, they're on a pedestal. We can't touch them. But let's even look at how BN presented these League Cup semifinals, right. which is a competition that used to be on Fox, by the way, mm-hmm. and they never went into this kind of detail in, in, in how they presented it. Uh, today, we had Kevin Egan and, and Gary Bailey in the studio tactically showing us everything on, on kind of the board, talking through selection issues, talking through tactical issues, giving us some analysis, 45 minutes up until kickoff, and then uh, halftime and postgame, same thing. And at Fox, it's always these these sort of uh, the, the 45 minutes leading into a game are all these kind of side stories. These right. uh, Grant Wall comes on and gives uh, MLS rumors in the middle of uh, of Champions League coverage, and they they they're not uh, they're not focused on the game that they're presenting, except in a very basic and simple way. Which, as I said today on BN, we saw how they treat a cup very differently. I mean, you will not see this level of analysis in the studio for the FA Cup this weekend that you did uh, from BN today in, in the uh, in the League Cup. So it's, it's really uh, unfortunate. And one other point I would make about this is that the Bundesliga coming to Fox was a big deal for a lot of us, thinking, okay, mm-hmm. this is one right. of the better leagues in the world. Uh, this is great. This league is going to be on. Now, I should be thankful they're bringing us the games, right? Because they, they show several games a weekend between Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. But, and not, on, weekend, but not on Fox. Well, starting <laughs> this weekend on regular Fox. Right. Uh, so they'll have eight games or nine games the rest of the season on regular Fox. But they're not doing anything during the week to build the brand of the league. Mm-hmm. They're very kind of basic in their pregame analysis uh, of uh, – 
the, the teams and, and the games. And, you know, Eric Winalda can do a good job of presenting this stuff. Uh, he, he knows he knows the league very well, but it's their, it's the way they present. They, they want to do human interest stories and these different features, which are cool every once in a while. But that seems to be their pregame show permanently. And they're they're just not presenting that league properly, although it will be very interesting starting this week because – as as I did say, they are showing games on regular Fox. Uh, I would uh, so there's 16 match days left in the season. I think half of those match days, eight of those match days, there'll be a match on on regular Fox. Uh, you had mentioned to me uh, pre-show Nipun the 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 graphic yeah. where they put Spurs where Liverpool should be geographically. This seems to be a common Fox mistake. I mean, I've even seen them. Uh, uh, the Fox Sports and Fox Soccer logos seem to be used interchangeably on set and uh, in, in uh, graphics uh, without any rhyme or reason. Yeah, and, and speaking of the change in, uh, in in the mindset as far as Fox goes, we, we had a, a listener who reached out on Twitter and told us that NBC should take over all of soccer coverage in America because Fox doesn't su- sufficiently utilize their channels to cover the Champions League or the FA Cup. So maybe that is starting to change, as you mentioned, starting this week with the Bundesliga, but still not changing with the Champions League as much. I mean, you, I think the best example was, I think you tweeted this out with the Bundesliga. There was a game between Dortmund and Bayern, and it was on FS2, which which was an incredible... Oh, just amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's, one of, that's the biggest game in essentially the biggest game in Germany and right, right. and you've thrown that away. So that's very disappointing. They're not only the two best clubs on the pitch this season and most seasons recently, they're actually the two best supported clubs in the country. In, yeah, too. Exactly, exactly. So it is uh, by any metric, that's the biggest game. And then the other thing, as you mentioned, it comes back for me to that idea that they're really trying to sell to a non-soccer fan because the way they present before between Champions League games or before Champions League games, they have Barton and... Winalda and Rob Stone, etc., walking across this this artificial pitch, small artificial pitch, which is basically they're doing exactly what the NFL model is. So in my mind, it almost drives home the idea that they're trying to attract a, f- a type of fan that isn't really watching soccer as is. So why are they trying to convert football fans when there's still a huge critical mass of us waiting to be, you know, be entertained by them? Right, and even in their coverage of Major League Soccer, I would say that ESPN blows them away, and, and part of it is easily, uh, yeah, and p- part of it is that Taylor Twelman, as an analyst, doesn't pull any punches, and it seems the Fox guys uh, are more, uh, and they don't have Winalda on those broadcasts because he is very critical of Major League Soccer and makes some very good points. So they, they've, they've of course placated MLS by keeping him off the broadcast and putting on. Uh, I love John Strong, but he, he's uh, other than him, guys that are not going to be. Uh, critical and those those people who are going to be uh, very soft on the league so and and on the quality of play incidentally so that's the sort of thing that they do uh, when they're they're a rights holder right same thing they did for the NFL right they're very soft on on anything they they, they don't they don't ask the hard questions in addition to giving this very watered down presentation so if you feel differently about Fox of uh, coverage of, of, of soccer, of the FA Cup, of the Bundesliga, of the UEFA Champions League, even of Major League Soccer. I, I tend to think most MLS fans are happy with Fox and that they actually 
don't like ESPN as much because Twelman is critical. Uh, ESPN uh, studio shows, you, you'll have uh, a lot of questioning of, of the quality of MLS. You'll have Brian McBride come on and say, well, I think Jordan Morris should sign Inverter Vrame, and I, I'm sure they weren't happy about that. So uh, I think actually MLS fans like Fox better than they like ESPN. But if you're a fan of the UEFA Champions League, the FA Cup, English football, uh, because all three properties used to be on on Fox, and now we see the League Cup being covered better by BN than it was covered by Fox. We see NBC take the Premier League to a whole new level, best coverage in the world we get now in the United States of that league uh, as compared to Fox. And Fox still has the FA Cup, and now it seems like the FA Cup, uh, and maybe maybe we should cl- close on this, uh, Nipun, it seems like the FA Cup in the United States has less of a following than it ever has before relative yeah. to the league, and even relative to the Capital One Cup, because the coverage of those two events is so much better. And like I said, just watching the pregame and postgame uh, these last two days on VN compared to what we're going to get this weekend on Fox for the cup competition that's typically or technically the bigger competition, uh, you, you know, we, for newer American fans, they'll probably think, yeah, the Capital One Cup's probably a bigger tournament. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because we know, we know there's been a drop in the interest in the cup competitions, even in England. I mean, there's been a drop in attendances. There's been a drop in uh, TV yeah. revenue, from, uh, especially with FA Cup. I actually don't know the figures on the Capital One Cup, but true for the FA Cup. So when you translate that and you talk about a cup competition that a lot of people here don't know the relevance of, they don't know that it's one of the oldest club comp- cup competitions in the world, and the fact that the, the players they want to see as a product are being rotated in and out of these teams. They might not get to watch them play their midweek games sometimes, all those things. So I think all of that adds up to the fact that the coverage of both Cups, Capital One and FA Cup, is kind of slacking. And then you add to the fact that BN and Fox are covering them respectively. It's just uh, not not anywhere close to NBC's coverage of Premier League. I would agree with that, and, and Nipun, thank you again. Uh, Richard Farley will be back with you uh, at the weekend, and Lawrence McKenna will be back also. Uh, you'll probably hear from Nipun and I next next Wednesday following a midweek uh, set of fixtures in the Premier League. Uh, the big match of those fixtures is Liverpool traveling to Leicester, league-leading Leicester City, and I'm beginning to get the impression, uh, feeling, and Nipun, before we close, maybe I'll ask you this. I'm beginning to feel like Le- Leicester could win the league, believe it or not. Well, are you, are you there yet? No, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I know it's so so unfair because statistically they they're right up there given the fact that they're top of the league at the end of uh, almost at, at February. So I still don't think they'll win the league, but I I think I was converted to them being top four, top four? in December, yeah. uh, early December. I was okay. converted so top four, yes. Right, and and I think Claudio Ranieri he's uh, got a couple more rabbits up his leave uh, he, uh, rabbits in his hat. I should the, say. Pizza, the pizza thing is working. The pizza thing is working. Pizza thing is working. <laughs> and I think the next thing that might work is uh, uh, Tinkerman returning. I have a feeling oh, we're yeah. going to see some, some, some tactics. Now that he's uh, in, in a position where he's leading the league, we might see some changes in tactics which are, are helpful. Anyway, uh, that is next week when Leicester hosts Liverpool and uh, eight, nine other Premier League fixtures. So Lawrence and Richard will be back with you this Sunday. For Nipun Chopra, I'm Karthik Krishnayer. Thank you for listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast. Karthik, can I say it? And Nipun, take us out. Yes. Enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. 
get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7 Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.